Welcome to Core 242 Podcast, brought to you by Core Community Covenant Church. Now let's dive into the Word of God with Pastor Max and Pastor Trish. But today, so, so today we are continuing our, our sermon on the 10 laws of love. We, we, always, we, we struggled with it, as we shared last week. We struggled with going, teaching on Ten Commandments because it sounds like very legalistic. And thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But as we, ta- as we got into it and started studying and preparing for it, we really saw that it is very much a relational and a loving connection between God and us and the love and relationship between us and other people. We, Jesus said it himself. The two commandments is love God love your neighbor very very summarized <laughs> version of it but we look at those two commandments and we're like all right cool how do we do that well the great thing is the ten commandments are the ones that show us how to love god and how to love people so we're gonna go into it last week we talked talked about the first commandment of of you shall have no other gods before before me, and we talked about what does it look like, what other gods are out there, and why would he want to have that relationship with us, of that one-on-one relationship. Um, today, we're going to talk about uh, commandment number two, and these are verses chapter uh, verses four through six. So Exodus twenty, verse four through six, and I'll read that, and we'll get into our study. Uh, Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol or image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me, and keep my commandments. So there's a lot of things that, that, that are happening in those verses. Uh, there's a lot of things that happening in this verses. So we're going to try to break that down into a couple of points. But the first thing that one of these verses are used in a, I want to say a confusing way, and might lead people astray. And it's the, it's the part where in verse... Five, the second part of the five is saying, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And that's where that that saying of generational curses come along. And we just wanted to address that before we get deeper into the into the study. So the reality is, is that generational curses are not something that is taught in the Bible. Um, The closest thing that it comes to is this statement that God will punish the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. What actually is meant by that text is that the, the first generation sins and God does not reap judgment until three or four generations, meaning their sin is complete. Um, that like he did with the flood, you know, he didn't necessarily give Adam and Eve the full weight of their sin, but he waited generation and generation until he saw that the hearts of men was only evil all the time and then his wrath comes so he's he's a patient god is really what this is referring to not saying that you're going to be you're going to reap the sins of your parents or of your grandparents but that the the parents or grandparents sin then the children sin then the grandchildren sin and god is patiently waiting 
And ultimately, he punishes to the third and fourth generation. I mean, he's been waiting, a generation being 20 years, he's waited 100 years to respond to the sin that is full grown in our family line. Um, and just to, to highlight this, uh, there's an entire chapter in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 18, and I would encourage you to read through that one time because we don't want to take what, what happens is people take one or two verses from scripture and they cherry pick an idea and then they teach a theology about it. Whereas there's this, an entire chapter in Ezekiel that talks about the fact that the soul who sins will die. That's actually the title that's above the chapter that, that translators have put in the text because it summarizes what this entire chapter is about. So it starts off with a proverb and it says, the fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, the parents do something and the children pay for it. He, he starts off by saying, there's this proverb that you say, but he says, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For every living soul belongs to me, the father as well as the son, both alike to me. The soul who sins is the one who will die. In other words, the person who sins is the one who reaps the consequences of that. That each person will be held accountable for what they do before the Lord, whether righteous or unrighteous. And he goes into various detail. He talks about a man who was righteous and whose son was wicked. Then he talks about how the son who was wicked had a son who was righteous. And he delineates how each of them reaps the repercussions for their own and not for the generation before. That if your fathers sinned in some kind of way, you're only accountable to that if you repeat that sin. Now, we do know that there's influences, right? That alcoholism runs in families. Um, Violence. Affairs run in families. You know, broken families often reap abuse. You know, if you were abused, a lot of times people become abusers. So, but we believe that in Christ, all of that is broken. So you don't have to repeat the sins of your heart. Just because your dad was a drug addict or your mother was a drug addict doesn't mean that you have to follow in those same footsteps that the love of Christ can set you free from all of that. Uh, I want to read one, one other part of, uh, of Eze- the chapter in Ezekiel 18. Again, like I said, you can, there's an entire chapter about this uh, to, to really drive home the point. But verse 18 and 20 uh, says, reiterates this. It says, uh, I'm sorry. You ask, this is verse 19. Why does the son not share the guilt of the father? Since the son has done what is just and right and has been careful to keep all of my decrees, he will surely live. The soul who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share the guilt of the father, nor the father share the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous man will be credited to him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged to him. So again, we're just driving home the point that there is no such thing as generational curses that if you feel that you're in some sort of a bondage, that you're destined to become an alcoholic or you're destined to fall into pornography or you're destined to these certain things and you've been taught that there's these curses that are over you because of the decisions of your parents or your grandparents, we want to dispel that right now and just teach the truth of scripture, which is that you can be set free of all of those things and that there's no curse that's over you. The only curse that we are under, which is... We, we read about, which is the curse that came from the fall in the, in the garden, the original sin of man. It, scripture teaches in Romans 5.12. Do you have that one? Yeah. So verse five, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 12 sa- says, There's four, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and this way de- death came to all men because all sinned. 
So that that's kind of exactly what you said. There's only one one curse that we have that is this sin a sin that came into life through Adam. That's what we're fighting fighting against. And all of creation is under that curse. But that is what Christ came exactly to redeem, so that we no longer have that effect. He bound sin and death um, forever, so that we could be free in Christ. Yeah, Romans chapter five uh, follows that, and fifteen says, "But the gift is not like the trespass." For the many died by the trespass, trespass of the one man. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So we have the sin that came from Adam, but we have this grace and mercy that comes from Christ. So that's the only sin that we battle through. That, and the only answer is Jesus Christ to overcome death to overcome the sins of this world. So we want we we did want to acknowledge this, that they are there is that sin but through Christ though that can be broken. Through Adam we received a sinful nature, but through Christ we are made into a new creation. So that's not the heart of the message today, but we wanted to highlight that because it is part of the text that we're studying today and we know that this is something that has permeated the church. There's a lot of people who've been taught this or heard this um, and are in some ways they, they're uh, tied in their Christian walk because they feel like they're bound um, by the poor decisions, you know, that, that for some reason, you know, God is punishing them or they can't live the fullest of their Christian life because of the decisions that were made um, in, by their ancestors. Yeah, absolutely. And I love, I'm, I'm so glad that you talked about that, again, there's acts that follow us from generation to generation. It's. It, I, I really wanted to acknowledge that, and I think people confuse that with curses, like violence, like alcoholism, like affairs, like all, all these things that that people struggle with. But it's something that they struggle with, and, and through Christ, they can overcome it at any point. But it's, there's not like this curse that's over us. It's just that's what you see. If you grew up in violence. Most likely, that's going to be just something that's normal to you. That's how you're going to live your life as an adult. If you're if a child, you're going to live life as an adult, and you're going to pass that to your child, and it's just going to keep repeating. But in Christ, we always have the, the strength and the power to overcome whatever those things were. But it is, it's just something that we live with, not a curse. And the last thing we'll say about this, and then we'll get into the heart of the message, which has to do with not making idols or images uh, the, the what's the goal of this is that uh, to contrast how even when God's wrath comes, he says to the third and fourth generation, but he says he will bless to the thousandth generation. Mm-hmm. So what this verse is really trying to highlight is not even generational curses or anything like that. It's being totally taken out of context. What it's meant to highlight is that we we have a God who is patient. We have a God who is abundant and wants to bless us and loves us. And that his, even the weight of his wrath is much less severe than the joy of his blessings. That he wants to pour out his love and his blessing and his abundance for a thousand generations. So three versus a thousand, you can't really even compare those things. And that's why, that's what that verse is trying to highlight. Is the very nature of God being a generous and loving and patient God. Mm-hmm. So getting into the, the main part of our text is that you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth or in the waters below. The first thing about that is that your text, a lot of your uh, translations will just say an idol or a graven image. 
But when you actually look at the Hebrew, there's two words there. One of them, it means an idol, something that is like a statue or carved or made out of metal, a three-dimensional object. Uh, it can be made out of whatever. It can be carved into a tree. It can be, but it's, it has to do with a 3D. Um, it can even be a person uh, that you idolize. So it just has to do with the, that there's a dimension. The second word there is an image, meaning something that was created that's two-dimensional, like a painting or a, even you know photos or whatever, which didn't exist at the time, but something that is a, a two-dimensional image. So the, a lot of the translators just summarize this into idol in general, but when you actually look at the Hebrew, it makes a distinction and it talks about an idol or an image, and both are present and both are kind of imbued in the meaning of this text. Yeah, so we just wanted to break the, this verse down a little bit further. So when they're talking about anything in heaven above, there's people who worship, who look to, to the stars. They look to the heavens. They look to uh, even to the angels. They look to um, planets, planets, moon. There's all these things that right. people idolize and put this like this is God. And they t- take on to it, even, even like when they look to stars, even as- astrology and uh, the zodiac signs and the year you were born. All these things are the things that he says, do not make idols of it. He, he, he really points out, God really points out, I don't want that to be in your life. And uh, there's a reason why he kind of very nitpicks it, like nothing in heaven above, nothing on earth beneath or not in that thing in the water he, he's he's breaking it down what it, what it looks like on earth when he's talking about on earth animals we're talking about other human beings we talk about nature itself and there's a lot of religions out there they do worship nature that they, they they talk about it they honor it it's it's the mother nature the mother nature, the, yeah. the mother nature and it's the the blessing water and the trees of whatever you know it's it's all these things um, but you might say, like, even when we get to this, like, well, I don't, I don't believe in the Zodiac. I don't follow astrology. I don't, you know, I'm not a sun worshiper. I don't believe in Mother Nature. And so you're kind of like, well, this, this verse doesn't really apply to me. But there's so many ways. And we don't, again, we want to say the heart of these scriptures is not because God is somehow threatened when we give uh, veneration, when we give praise or worship to these other objects. But God puts this rule down because it confuses us. So we have to remember that these, these rules God gives us out of love for us, not out of because he's a controlling God. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of, even just as far as venerating human, you know, venerating religious authorities, you know, some people put their pastor on such a pedestal uh, that it's almost as if they can do no wrong. I've, I've, we've see all these stories of church abuse where the pastors will, you know, people will say, don't speak against God's anointed. Well, God's anointed, there's only one who was anointed, really, and that's Christ. And pastors are human and pastors are fallible and they need to be held accountable. You know, celebrity status, rock stars. I mean, if you've ever watched people at a rock concert, the way that they're, they literally idolize uh, these these musicians and these singers. So we may look at this and just say, you know, when you first look at the, the second commandment and you take it at face value, it's like, well, I don't worship a golden calf. So this doesn't really apply to me. But we were made to worship. And so our, our natural instinct is that we, we always 
take something and we idealize it on a level and give it more power than what it should be given. So when we talk about worshiping things on earth, um, it's not just giving you know praise to nature, but it's also the way that we idolize other human beings and we give them more more power and more respect even. You know, there's nothing wrong with respecting your authority. Scripture tells us to do that. But to give them power that they're not worthy of and to be afraid of them um, or to to give them uh, control over us in some way without seeing that ultimately we should bow only to the Lord and the Lord alone. Exactly. Uh, and the last thing they're talking about um, in earth below, it, we're also talking about things that, that are below like demons, ghosts, um, even dead people. There's some people that that hold on to ancestries and and things like that. That is another thing that we make it spiritual and give them power to it, and it's we really shouldn't. It's really something that that we don't even want to touch. That like you know, people have Ouija boards and they want to talk to the people, dead people, or they want to. It's it's consulting again. palm readers or spiritualists. Yeah, it's all those things that. We're giving spiritual power to things that should not be. Um, so that even in that kind of things, we don't want to uh, give, make those kind of idols or images in, the, in that kind of sense. The other part is, um, and, and this to me, to me that, that one is, that hit me, is the images and idols of God. If we, if we look at the story of Aaron, right? Moses goes up to the mountain and people come to Aaron and say, hey, this Moses, we don't know what happened to him. Uh, we need a God. Make us a God. And Aaron makes this bull. Aaron did bec- didn't become this lost person who made up a new religion. For him, he thought a God that just brought him out of Egypt, a big bull is a good representation uh, of God. But the problem is, that wasn't God. There's no way... To put God in a box. There's no, there's no such thing. That's why we should not make any images of God. It's because we don't know what he looks like. And when we put him in this little box, that means we're saying he's this small. You know, they we could have said like, well, God was in the burning bush. So burning bush is God. But no, God is so much more than that. Even the cross. We look at the cross, it's like, look, this is, this is what God did for us. But... He's so much more because there's also the empty tomb. There's also the creation at the beginning of creation. The, the Egyptians can say God was the pill of, pillar of fire. That was God. But that's not all that he was. He was also the God who opened up the sea. So when we, when we take an image and say this is who my God is, we make it so much smaller. Like I was talking when we were talking, talking and I was like, it's me buying a rose and saying this is my love for you. That's all? Just this flower? Just, this is all my love is? It's like, well, no, there's more. Than, well, stop putting that into one, one thing and one thing only. We're missing out on this whole other thing, right? We, we, we need to look so much deeper who God is, and that's why it's so much better. I always say, like, if I could explain my God, he's not big enough. They're like, well, I don't understand God. Why Explain Trinity or explain this. I'm like, I can't. And I'm happy that I can't because my God is so big that I can't explain him. Like I can't describe him. 
I can describe a little bit of him. I know he's loving. I know he's holy. I know he's just, but there's so much more of God. So when we try to start drawing him or making making a bull and it's like, oh, he's strong and mighty and scary, but you're also forgetting the love and, and mercy and grace and all that other things. So we never want to put God in this box. He's way bigger than that, right? So obviously the this commandment is not only commanding us not to look to other things but it's also commanding us not to make images of god so even even when we have icons um that you know depict jesus how accurate is that depiction a lot of people venerate statues and they bow down and they pray to you know i mean first of all the saints is a totally different category that's another thing that's covered by this but even when we, we worship icons of Jesus, you know, there's the sacred heart image, there's all these, and we, we give these images power and we put God into this image. Um, a lot of those images, we don't even know, we don't know what Jesus looks like. He was a Middle Eastern, you know, exactly. man. When you go to Europe, all the um, paintings, you know, murals of Jesus, he is dark brown. Right. In the United States, he is blonde hair, blue eyes, white right. skin, you know? Right, and, and if you go to Africa, a lot of times he's very dark-skinned. So there's these depictions of Jesus, but what we're doing is we're making even Jesus in our image rather than being made in his image, which mm-hmm. is what we're called to do as Christians, is to become like Christ, not to make Christ look like us. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a danger in that. And, uh, you know, what it, what it says here is you are... so. God is not prohibiting, we don't want to become legalistic. God is not prohibiting all images. Mm-hmm. He's not, it's not like a photograph is evil or, because if he was in Exodus 25, which is just five chapters later, he starts to give instructions on building the temple and, and how to carve cherubim and embroider. And there's all this beautiful artistry that goes into the temple. So would God be breaking his own commandment? Cause he said not to make icons or anything of heaven above. But his, the point is, is what it goes on to say in the next, in verse five, it says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them. So it's when we, it's when we give these, these things a spiritual power, a spiritual authority, and we think that there's something supernatural about them and we, we idolize them and we idealize them. So, I mean, this even encompasses what people do with crystals. You've got prayer beads. You've got all these, you know, little sacred stones, lucky rabbit's feet. I mean, we could just go on and on and on. And again, we don't want to become legalistic about these things. But understanding the heart behind it is that we we should not give these things power when they're just created things. We're not meant to worship created things. We're meant to worship the creator and the creator alone. So it, um, it says here in Leviticus 26, where God, again, draws this out. He says, do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves. Do not place a carved stone in your land or bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. So he, again, we're not even, in this case, he's talking about objects. So we're not even talking about a carved idol or an image. We're talking about giving these things. I mean, there's, there's people who, if you go to the land of Israel... We've turned these sacred sites. People are like, oh, there's the Veronica's, the veil, and there's the, these are the real piece of the cross, or these are nailed. And we, we give it these, these um, superstitious powers, and that is what Scripture is telling us not to do. 
that there's no power in these things, but there's only power in the living God. Yeah, amen. And and again, following up what Trish just just read, we look in Joshua when the Israeli people are crossing the Jordan River in Joshua chapter four. God tells him, go and grab the 12 stones out of the middle of the river and set them up on the other side, right? And then it says, these stones are to be a memorial to people of Israel forever. So he tells them to set up stones, but not to worship the stones, but just to be a reminder of how good God is and what he has done for us. So again, there's images out there that can remind us of how good God is. We carry the cross. We don't worship the cross just because I hold on to it really tightly I don't get closer to God but man do I remember the love that God showed me on the cross that's what this is for but when we all son and place the cross and we bow before the cross and we pray to the cross and we cry out and and we touch the cross and if I touch the cross all my sicknesses will go away that's now I'm giving power to an object that has no power exactly but it's important line People walking around with a lucky rabbit foot, right? And they rub onto it or they have beads that they hold onto and, they, and they, they touch. It's all these things that we give spiritual power and God's like, no, that's, that's idolizing it. We're taking something, an object, and giving power that is going to get us closer to God, but it's absolutely not. It's okay to remember. It's okay to remember what God has done through those objects, but not the object itself. There's no, there's no glory to the object. And so just defining, like, what does it mean when it says not to bow down or to worship? Worship can be singing. It can be dancing. I mean, people who would do rain dances to nature and those sorts of things. But even, like I said, being careful when we listen to secular music or you're, you know, that you don't get into a, a trance-like state while dancing. Um, these are all forms of worship. So it's not just... It's not just singing and bowing down, but it's praying to uh, ultimately, again, just venerating and giving something more of a, a place spiritually than what it should be given. Uh, and here's, here's, now we're just going to get into the why. Um, Deuteronomy 32, verse 17, uh, 16 and 17 says this, They made him jealous with their foreign gods and angered him with their detestable idols. And this is the key, verse 17. They sacrificed to demons, which are not God, gods they had not known, gods they had recently appeared, gods your fathers did not fear. And so part of the reason why we're not meant to do this is because we're actually uh, tapping into evil powers, to, into satanic beings. It's not that there's no, you know, that through Christ, these things are nothing. So we don't have to be afraid of it. But even, you know, now we're looking at a season with Halloween where evil is so glorified and we, we give power to phantoms and ghosts and spirits and, uh, you know, skeletons. And we're, we're basically, we're elevating the realm of the dead and we're making it into something that is meant to be celebrated. And that is, that is outside of what would glorify God. He is not honored by that. Those are things that actually elevate the powers of darkness. So we have to be careful. And again, we're not, we're not saying to become super legalistic where you go around smashing everyone's pumpkins on their porch. We're not saying that. But what we do need to be careful of is that we don't participate in that same, you know, it's, it's not wrong to have leaves. Like we have decorations here in this space. Um, those things are fine. And 
to just celebrate God's creation. But that's totally different than elevating the realm of the dead and thinking that zombies and violence and all this stuff is is okay with God and is cool because those are things that not they don't they don't make us more like Christ. They don't elevate the image of God that's within us. And and that's part of the reason why we're not meant to do that either is because if we make images of God, we forget that we're made in the image of God. That's what we were intended to be is we're intended to be God's image here on this earth. So when we give that image to another, we're denying the image of God that is in us. That's who God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness and male and female. He created them. That's in Exodus 1 verse 27. Genesis. I mean, Genesis. I said Exodus because we're in Exodus. Thank you. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No. And then Habakkuk, he talks about this about about the idols and and uh, the the danger of it. it. Says, "Of what values is an idol, since a man has carved it, or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it." But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. He just has this. He's like, there's all these idols that people have created, but they have no power. Even in Exodus, how the commandments start off with, I am your God who brought you out of the Egypt. He reminds them of what he did as, as their God. Not any other idol, not any other gods that, are, that were in Egypt. None of them saved them. It was God and God alone did that. So he's again reminding us, like, these idols, what do they do? They're just there. You're the ones who made them. You're the ones who made them, and and now you want to worship them? It doesn't make sense, but our God, our Lord, is so much bigger than that. He's alive and well. He's breathing. He has created all these things around you. He has the power, not what you created out of wood and silver. And um, Paul talks about it again in Romans chapter 1. He pretty much confronts this very uh, very strongly in Romans chapter 1 starting verse 21 for although they knew God they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened although they claimed to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. And he's talking about the Jewish people. They know who God is, but they start worshiping different idols and different gods. And they're like, you know better. And this God who saved you out, out of Israel, out of Egypt, and you exchange that for these things. So he continues, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to their sexual impurity for the the guarding of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So when we make these idols, whatever that looks like, idols or images, and put give them power, that spiritual power, we take the power of the creator and put it in the creation. It just does, it does not makes sense honestly it just does not make sense even though we do, we do it every day so here's here's kind of the we'll kind of land with this the so what like what is the danger in in some of this uh and psalm 115 uh starting in verse 4 uh through verse 8 says this 
but their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell, they have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. And here's the key where it says, those who make them will be like them, so will all who trust in them. The reality is, is that we're not meant to worship these things and these idols because whatever you worship transforms you. So if you worship Buddha, then you're going to become more like Buddha. If you worship these crystals and you give them this supernatural new age spiritual power, it's because you want those things to transform you and you're being made into the image of something other than what God created you to be. And eventually, like he read from Romans, God hands you over to these things. So you become, you're, you're walking dead where you are going through the motions of life, but you have, you can see, but I mean, you have eyes, but you cannot really see clearly. You have no wisdom about your life. You have no wisdom about the future. And the wisdom you do have is actually foolishness. The more you get lost in this idolatry and these other religions, the more that you actually believe these lies and this nonsense and you're lost. And God does not want us to walk in darkness. He doesn't want us to be lost. He wants us to be made into the image of his son. And he tells us in John chapter 4. John 4, chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus, about the worship, it talk, he says, says it clearly. Yet time is come and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are kind of worshipers the Father is seeking. So it's that last thing of of. When we worship something, it should be done through the Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. So us as Christians, we're connected to God. And, and through our connection to God, through the Holy Spirit, that's when, we can, that's when the true worship comes. But when we do the whole thing with the idols and images that are around uh, in, on earth, that, that is just... Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Confusion. Yeah, it's confusion. That's a better word than what was in my mouth. And even, again, just driving home the fact that we even take God and we make the one true God, we conform him to our own images. We have ideas about what God looks like or his character. You know, we say, well, why would a loving God send people to hell? And we don't like a God who we can't put into a box. We don't like a God who judges. We don't like a God who has who will have wrath. We don't like these things. And so we... we choose the god that we want to worship and what we need to do is he says not only will you worship through the holy spirit in spirit but you'll worship in truth and how do you know that the worship that you're giving is to the one true god well you have to take and say is this the god as he has revealed himself in scripture we always have to test what we what we're being taught and what we're believing according to how god revealed himself in scripture and not just piecemeal and pick the parts of scripture that we like and then ignore the parts of scripture that, you know, the same Jesus who loved the little children is the same Jesus who drove, drove out, you know, the, the temple. Uh, and we have to accept him for who he is as a, you know, as the whole God, not just for who we want him to be. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because especially in America, we have this Americanized God. It's like, well, if you're American, if you're a Christian, then you're a Republican, and this is your views on life. Or a Democrat. Or a Democrat, and and we put them in a box, in this little thing. And this is a church, this church shows that how God is and how Christ is, and this church shows how his is. And we need to stop confusing 
the churches and religions and just look to the word of God. This is the true God that we serve from Genesis to Revelation, not just from Matthew to, to Revelation or, or actually just from Matthew to, to, to John. And that's it. We're not going to look at Revelations because that's just scary stuff. And we don't want to look at Daniel and, and, and Isaiah and Jeremiah or we don't want to look at those things, but we got to look at them from the beginning to the end so that we can understand the full knowledge of who Christ is. And again, like from the beginning, the whole point to me was don't put God in the box because as soon as you put him in the box, you're missing out who he truly is. Amen. Thank you for spending time with us during this episode. We pray that this teaching blessed you and brought you closer to understanding God. If you'd like to contact us, please email us at corechurch242 at gmail.com. Until next time, know you are loved and covered in prayer.